Welcome back to Homiletics 101, which is the beginning preaching class for all would-be preachers. We had Jesus back in December with the Sermon on the Mount, and today we had Paul, a little sermon from a little guy named Paul. I do mean little. Here's how an extra-canonical source describes Paul's look. A man of small stature, with a bald head and crooked legs, with eyebrows meeting and nose somewhat hooked. I don't know if you've taken a look at megachurch pastors to today, but Paul would stick out like a sore thumb, a particularly homely sore thumb. Maybe he could clean up that unibrow and it would help, but I don't really see Paul going places by today's standards. Truth be told, I actually love Paul. He's brilliant, uh, energetic, kind of brassy. He quotes poetry at one point, and a few chapters later, he says a few very crude things that all biblical translators have done their best to gloss over. True story. We can talk about that another time. So I was surprised when I came into the Episcopal Church um, that he's not very popular uh, among certain strands of mainline Christians today maybe certain generations. Paul hating, though, has been going on for a while. Uh, George Bernard Shaw called Paul the monstrous imposition upon Jesus. Nietzsche called him uh, not the evangelist, but the disangelist, the bad tidings of Paul. Now, Paul couldn't make it for the sermon critique today. Uh, So let's see what we make of his words. Paul's little sermon was recorded by Luke uh, in our reading today, probably much condensed in the recording since Paul had a way of preaching literally all night long uh, until people fell asleep and fell out of windows and died. Uh, Another true story. The Athenians in our story today, though, don't call what Paul is doing preaching. Did you catch that? They called it babbling. I'm sure none of us have been there. But Luke tells us, now all the Athenians and the foreigners living there would spend their time in nothing but telling or hearing something new. Maybe not unlike our time. The newest study that determines happiness. A never-ending feed of information to expand our cosmopolitan natures. There are five foods to avoid to burn belly fat and become beautiful or stimulate your brain cells. Or did you hear about this one unbelievable study that shows one ordinary trick for eternal happiness? Click here to find out. They're all very religious, Paul says, and he recognizes it. Which might be a compliment, but it might not. The philosophers gathered there no matter how many gods they believed in with the pantheon, Epicureanism and Stoicism depended on the alignment of one's wills and pleasures, the control of them, not particularly following the ways of the gods, of Apollo or Zeus. So maybe not unlike today, too. Belief in God rates high in the polls, at least in America, always. But the systems we live in, our own philosophies, I'm not convinced that that belief 
translates to action beyond what is personally beneficial. Paul does some good things in the course of his sermon today. He quotes a couple of Greek pagan poets, interesting, uh, maybe you caught it, in whom we live and move and have our being. Sounds familiar? We are his offspring. This is Epimenides and Aratus, respectively, and funnily enough, we'll quote them too in our Eucharistic, or at least one of our Eucharistic prayers, uh, because a good religion can handle the pagans too. Paul says God is something that also cannot be conceived of by human minds. Check. If we are a lower form than God, then we have as much capability of containing or mapping out God as my dog has of mapping out and containing the dilemmas of my day. We come from God, but we are from God in a way that makes it impossible for us to know completely. But then he gets to this part. He has fixed a day in which he will have the world judged. Judgment. It's about as popular, I think, as uh, introducing my dog to water. Like someone is going to get hurt when you introduce the topic of judgment in church. So I think we might have to dock him a little bit on the popularity points. But surprisingly, it's not judgment that throws the Athenians off who are listening. Did you notice? We hear the words judgment with our modern ears. And the word stings like a whip from the preacher. Listen to me and do what I say or be found guilty. But this understanding of the word judgment fundamentally misses what every psalm proclaims with joy. The trees will clap their hands and the mountains will sing for joy for the Lord that comes to judge the earth. Like this is good news. Like this is something for the creation itself. Judgment is coming, the Bible says, and the weak will be lifted. This judgment is good news for the poor. It means justice is done at last. Things will be put right in the world. According to the Jesuits, justice is when every person has what they need at minimum to participate fully in society. We say that the glory of God is man fully alive. Judgment, all things set right, is what makes that true. And Jesus in our gospel today promises the advocate, and it's right then to picture the courtroom, the one who speaks on our behalf before the unjust systems of the world, the crippling poverty that dehumanizes. This advocate speaks and says, you are not alone. And this Holy Spirit comforts and supports the ones who work on behalf of the weak and the vulnerable, you are not alone. The Athenians were not alarmed by judgment. But you know what they were turned off by? It was the resurrection of the dead that proved pivotal for them. 
Right at the end of the story, it says, some left upon hearing this thing about the resurrection of the dead. Some said, we'd like to hear a little more about this. Not too sure, but I could stand some more. Uh, And then some got up from that debate and left the news feed and became followers. Resurrection is what moves us to action in this world. What Paul understood was that if it was not for this world, religion was just another passing fad, escapism that called for nothing but inner peace, one surprising trick to minimize discomfort and ease your pain. Resurrection, the Easter we still celebrate today in our sixth week, meant that judgment, restitution, demanded our bodies and lives now that it was our efforts that became involved with the world. Make no mistake, if he rose at all, John Updike writes, if it was as his body, if the cell's dissolution did not reverse the molecules re-knit, the amino acids rekindle, the church will fall. It was not as the flowers, each soft spring recurrent, It was not as his spirit in the mouths and fuddled eyes of the eleven apostles. It was as his flesh, ours. The same hinged thumbs and toes, the same valved heart that pierced, died, withered, paused, and then regathered out of enduring might new strength to enclose. Let us not mock God with metaphor, analogy, sidestepping, transcendence, making of the event a parable, a sign painted in the faded credulity of earlier ages. Let us walk through the door. The stone is rolled back, not paper mache, not a stone in a story, but the vast rock of materiality that in the slow grinding of time will eclipse for each of us the wide light of day. And if we will have an angel at the tomb, Make it a real angel, weighty with Max Planck's quanta, vivid with hair, opaque in the dawn light, robed in real linen, spun on a definite loom. Let us not seek to make it less monstrous for our own convenience, our own sense of beauty, lest, awakened in one unthinkable hour, we are embarrassed by the miracle and crushed by remonstrance. Amen.